Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Excited for our South by Southwest EDU hype show. South by Southwest EDU is coming. We're releasing our March Madness brackets for 2023 as part of a panel. I'll be joined by Dr. Talanda Tolbert, Elliot Felix, and the lovely and talented Dr. Robin Naughton. I am fortunate enough to be joined today by my wife, Dr. Robin Naughton. Welcome to Trending in Education. Hi, Mike. I'm very happy to be here. I'm looking forward to joining the panel at South by Southwest. We'll be yeah. the first time down there. First time, first time, long time, they say on call-in shows, and hopefully we'll be able to see some of you listeners in person in real life. There will be live Q&A. We want to get your takes on our brackets. If you can't make it down to Austin, fear not, we'll be releasing this as an upcoming episode of Trending in Education. For those of you who can make it, 11.30 a.m. Central Time on Monday, March 6th, right at the beginning of the conference, kick your conference off in style with us. We'd love to see you. We may have swag. We'll certainly have good times. This is your first trip to South by Southwest. How are you feeling? You know, I've been looking forward to going to South by Southwest for a while now, and this opportunity to go and really check out some of the sessions on education, particularly since I'm in higher ed, seeing what's happening in that space and some of the things that I've been thinking about from my perspective as a educator, as a librarian, is to see, you know, how are libraries represented in South by Southwest. So I expect to see some librarians there as well. And then for those who may not remember, first off, this is your fifth appearance on trending in education, getting into a lofty space now. You're amongst the serious regulars. And with your appearance next week, which will ultimately turn into your sixth appearance, you will really be among the true legends, you know, the Dan Straffords, the Melissa Griffiths, the Brandon Joneses of your. It's exciting to get down there. You were supposed to head down there with me back in 2020. Yes. We were fl flying down with our one-year-old son, Matthew. Shout out to Matthew, who is a frequent subject on the podcast. Matthew will, in fact, be coming down with us. He won't be on the panel. He, he won't, be, but... But he will be in Austin with us. And then we'll also be joined by Dr. Talanda Tolbert and Elliot Felix, who wrote a book called how to get the most out of college. There also is a podcast by that same name. Talanda has the most amazing, magnificent energy, which will be great on a panel. Absolutely. She is the co-founder of a company called Escalera. She'll be talking about the durable skills we need to be teaching folks on the enterprise side. Elliot will be representing for higher ed and user-centered design. We're flying down there just as we were supposed to fly down there back in March of 2020. And then the coronavirus happened. And on the eve of our flight, we were flying out on a Saturday. On that Friday evening, the mayor of Austin canceled South by Southwest. At the time, we were still planning to fly down there with our one-year-old son, whether that would have been a good move or not. We didn't go down there then. We actually were in lockdown mode for the most part with Matthew cranking out podcasts for the last three years. Last March, I did heroically return to the podcast stage with 
Tarlin Ray, Dan Harrison, and Terry Gibbons, where we did a live event at South by Southwest EDU 2022. Unfortunately, that time, my wife and son couldn't attend. To guarantee that you would attend, I, I included you on the panel. And then if you and I are going, we're bringing the boy. So it's a family affair. We're going to be down there Sunday through Wednesday. Check out our session on Monday. What are you most excited about heading down to South by Southwest? First of all, I'm very excited to be on the panel. I have not been on a panel like this before. And to be on a panel at South by Southwest talking about education and the trends that we're seeing in education will be amazing. Since it's my first time going to South by Southwest CDU, I'm looking forward to seeing as a librarian, it'd be great to see what librarians are doing, but just what what's happening in the education landscape overall. So it's very exciting. Also, bringing a four-year-old to Austin is going to be its own level of fun. So I mm -hmm. think he might enjoy it a lot more now than he would have back in 2020. So we'll yeah. see how it goes. Yeah, and be on the lookout if you are hosting any early childhood development sessions. There may be a, a charming young four-year-old sitting in your audience because we want Matthew to get his value out of this conference. Also for you, uh, you know, folks may not remember from your previous appearances who you are and what your area of focus is. Yeah, so I work for Queens College. I am assistant professor, web and digital services librarian at Queens College. And my background is in human-computer interaction. My PhD is in information science with a focus on the design of interactive systems. Specifically, I am a user-centered researcher focused on designing useful and fun and functional systems. And some of the things that I'm looking at currently includes library websites or websites in general and how we design for that, as well as thinking about mental models. My research focused on mental models, particularly mental models of websites. But what I'm going to look at going forward is mental models of libraries overall. So it's an exciting space to be in and to try and understand how do we make these systems easy for people to use and really respond to the, the needs of users. Yeah, and it reminds me very much of some of the work that Elliot Felix, one of our fellow panelists, has done where his research was in higher ed as an architect who then formed a consultancy to do user-centered research around designing solutions for higher ed. Frequently, that winds up designing libraries, thinking about mm -hmm. common spaces, thinking about the, the blend that libraries are now between physical and virtual. You're also going to have input on the brackets this year, which will yeah. be revealed as part of our session. You know, we'll only include 16. That's not a lot. And if there's four of us, that means we have, you know, super delegate votes to get at least four through the selection process. Are there any ideas out there, any categories that are, are jumping to mind for you? Yeah, for me right now, the big thing that's happening in higher ed, particularly from a professorial perspective and a librarian perspective, has to do with Chad GPT. It's everywhere in the consciousness of our society right now. It really has professors and teachers and librarians and everyone who work with writing thinking about what does this generative AI mean to us and how mm -hmm. can we make use of it? Because trying to pretend it's not happening is not going to work because it's really everywhere right now. So yeah. 
I feel like that's a trend that we can certainly get into the brackets and, and see how it does in yeah. March Madness. Yeah, we might even get some representation from Nancy, our virtual co-host. And just to clarify too, like there's no beef between you and Nancy, right? I've, heard, I've had some people ask me, do Robin and Nancy get along? By the way, Nancy's our virtual co-host. If you haven't heard, she did a recent episode. She was the voice of ChatGPT. So we may have a little bit of sound from Nancy when we're down in Austin. But just to clear the air here, I mean, if you have beef too, you should hear about it. But how are things between you and Nancy these days? I think things between me and Nancy are pretty good. We have no beef whatsoever. I really like Nancy. It's really great to hear her on the show when she's hosting something. She gets right to the point and I very much appreciate that. So no beef, yeah. none of that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see how these new capabilities are relatively easy to tap into. The fact that an individual can grab stuff from ChatGPT, find a synthetic voice in Descript, author it, and bring someone to life. What is funny about Nancy, my virtual co-host, yeah. not to mention the virtual panels that we've done, shout out to Ruth and Malcolm, is that when we talk about them, it's kind of like they're real people. Yeah. The world we're moving into is really thinking about the role of AI in our lives and in our work. We have a lot of things that can be digital or remote or virtual. And so that relationship, it's no less a relationship than another relationship. So I do think one of the things that a lot of the AI work is making us all think about is how does that play into what we do and how we communicate and how we make sense of the world. Passed a little bit to chat GPT, if we can have this AI generating information in terms of writing in different ways, very fast, very effective. I mean, coders use it as well. If we can take that, what does that mean for us creating code or writing and is it a help or is it a hindrance? And I think we're very early stages. So we're trying to figure out how does this all work and what's it going to be like in the future. And I'm kind of looking forward to hearing more from Nancy and the virtual co-hosts and how they too are taking in this new change in the way things can be done. I'm very happy to hear that there is no beef and that you actually want to hear more from Nancy with that. I'm overjoyed to be rejoined today by my virtual co-host, Nancy. Nancy, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you, Nancy. We've had you on quite a few times over the past few years. The show that people keep talking to me about is your appearance back in December when we hooked you up to ChatGPT when it was just dropping like it's hot. It's continued to grow. It's very zeitgeisty, as we like to say. Let's listen to a little bit of that interview. Again, this episode will be accessible through the show notes. You can find it within our main Trending in Ed feed. But this is a little bit of me and Nancy kicking it back in December, right on the heels of the initial release of ChatGPT. I have to admit I'm a little nervous today. So far I've only been speaking as Nancy. Today I'm the voice of GPT, which some might claim is the voice of the future. Well, I got to say I can't really blame you, Nancy. It is a bit of an awesome responsibility to be representing for chat GPT, but I think you're up to the challenge. Before we dive into this in some depth and think about the learning implications, let's begin with a general definition since you're tapped into ChatGPT, you can provide a definition of what it is in its own words. What is ChatGPT? ChatGPT is a large language model trained by OpenAI, 
It is a machine learning model that has been trained to generate human-like text based on the input it receives. Its purpose is to assist users by providing answers to their questions to the best of its ability, based on the information and knowledge it has been trained on. So that gives our listeners a sense of what it's like when Nancy is hooked up to ChatGPT. We'll be doing that semi-regularly. And it's great to have you here, Nancy. Any thoughts heading into March Madness real quick? Just that things are moving fast. You got to be in it to win it. That's true of both March Madness and the generative AI game. At the end of the day, there are more blends in both ends than we want to admit. You know that I'm all about hashtag Team Centaur. AI is nothing without humans, but increasingly humans will become reliant on AI. As the Mandalorian would say, this is the way. Anywho, I love engaging in the conversation. I look forward to being back on again soon. Great stuff there from Nancy. Be on the lookout for more conversations with her. We may even get a little bit of sound from her as we introduce our trends down in Austin. Getting back to your expertise, Robin, you're someone who's deeply ensconced both in libraries and technologies, thinking about AI, and then thinking about how some of this could power the future of the library experience. You know, yeah. we, we joke a lot about Clippy, but it does seem like he may have been, he, I think so, he may have been before his time. Yeah. But if you think about that type of capability, although there've been some train wrecks too, most notably with Bing and Microsoft yep. and Sydney, there have been some bumps along the road, but such is the case with any new technology that is being adopted. It'd be very interesting to see how libraries respond. The other space that is interesting that we'll be touching on probably a little more when it comes to Talanda is how to manage a culture, how to manage enterprise experiences nowadays, how to think about inclusion, how to think about the social emotional learning, the durable skills that humans will need. As a little bit of a segue there, and I'm not sure if this will make it into the brackets, but I am seeing in addition to human intelligence, there is a new set of human skills that I've heard referred to as AI whisperers. The idea mm. that there are certain competencies around interfacing with artificial intelligence. This is also where prompt crafting is another term that we've been talking about. But thinking more about the human side of things, that's more where Talanda is focused. Escalara, her company, is providing solutions into HR departments for enterprise so that folks can have an app-based way to get trained on durable skills, resilience, inclusion, you know, the things you need to kind of truly build a culture. You've had an interesting track record as a professional. You've hopped from a few different environments, whether they're mm -hmm. academia, you, you worked with me when we were at Kaplan, you've right. worked in different aspects of the private sector, and now you're a tenure track librarian, which is an interesting yes. space to be in. As someone who's worn a lot of different hats and seen things in different ways, any thoughts about the human skills that are also necessary to complement what we're seeing around ChatGPT? You know, working in multiple environments over the course of my career, one of the things you start to realize is that the role of humans and, you know, what can humans bring to a lot of these situations? Because what technology is teaching us is that things that can be automated will eventually be automated, which mm -hmm. means that the skills that humans bring into the situation is much more human skills. There's a lot of cognitive skills and critical thinking. That's one of the things that I try to get my students to understand. They need to be able to think critically. They need to be able to solve problems. So a lot of the work is being able to identify issues and 
and being able to solve problems. Also soft skills, the ability to communicate effectively and to collaborate with each other is going to be a really important skill in the future. And that collaboration is with humans as well as with machines. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to do both of those kinds of collaborations will be quite valuable. You know, prompt crafting, it's it's the collaboration, it's to say, okay, I will strategically think about this thing and I will provide a prompt and the machine or the technology will respond and we'll work together to get to a solution. So I do think those kinds of skills are good to be valuable going forward more so than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that it is conversational AI. It is dialogic mm -hmm. where like you're actually talking to something else. Humans are built to work that way. It is harder to operate in isolation as a human. And it is interesting to see that there are now these immediate responses that will get us text to edit effectively. Yeah. It does make me think about how a certain way of life is kind of going away in the process. The idea of the writer in her garret trying to get the great American novel written, if she's blocked, she's going to have plenty of help right at her fingertips should she choose to do it. You've been teaching folks writing. You've actually been teaching yeah. undergrads how to write and how to use technology and think about the internet. Can you describe a little bit about what you've been doing and how that's been like? Yeah, so I'm teaching a course that's research and writing, and I focused on history of the web. Some of the things that we're trying to teach our students is, you know, how to do research and how to write about research and how to write in general. With all the changes that's happening, I think one of the conversations that's happening in this field right now is how do teachers respond to the use of these tools in writing? Because a lot of these tools are being used in writing. And what do teachers do in terms of that. For my class, we are talking about these technologies and trying to figure out, you know, how do they work and what is the role in the writing for that. But I think a big part of going forward is figuring out what does that mean for writing and mm. what does that mean for grading someone's writing and how do you judge it if it's, you know, someone submits a chat GPT article or a uh, piece of writing and what is the role of that. So there's discussions about how do we use these tools to improve students' writing as well. Yeah. And it's another one that ties to digital inclusion and the digital divide, which is something that relates also to libraries and library websites, but certainly the case for ChatGPT, where not everyone is going to be able to fire up these capabilities quickly and easily. There are different barriers, whether they are societal or, you know, psychological, you know, folks may not feel like that is for them. One thing we've been trying to model by using this stuff is that it's for everybody and we need to figure out how to open up access so more people feel connected to these tools. That's the other thing I was thinking about when you're teaching undergrads, folks are really just sort of getting plugged in to their professional selves, their adult selves, teaching them how to write. It's very foundational to how we identify ourselves. And it is something that is a bit of a moving target. How do you think about that nowadays? Well, I think, you know, in terms of the writing, you know, even for now, it's still kind of new, the role of this in, in writing. So you're still 
trying to determine how many years your students even know these things exist, and they do tell you unless you ask them, and how many of them will actually use it. But also, too, I think the challenge right now is that for teachers or instructors, because this technology is so brand new and it's moving faster, it's academia, things move a lot slower normally. Yeah. And this is moving faster than lightning for this area. So we're all trying to figure out how do we really use it and how do we identify it and how do we make it so that students don't feel way about it that is not useful. Mm-hmm. So it's just trying to think about what does that mean for writing? And I think we're still trying to figure those pieces out hmm. and figure to what extent is it okay for someone to use this tool in their writing project and to what extent is it not okay. Right. And for the tool of itself, some things work and some things are clearly easy for the tool to do and some things are not. And context is one of those things. The tool hmm. does not understand context. So if you don't bring the human understanding of context to your writing, then it's still kind of disjointed and separate. Yeah, we don't have kids write essays to become good at writing essays. We have them write essays to learn how to think, to learn the critical thinking and to learn the other skills. The next step in that argument is that rather than an essay or an essay that I wrote myself, maybe the outputs that we're going to expect from kids and from all of us really will ultimately be changing. I I just saw an article today that was comparing the intellectual revolution powered by this generation of AI to that of the enlightenment, that we haven't seen an intellectual revolution really since then. One of the things I will add to this is that what it's forcing, what are our goals? Because what it's basically saying is that we can write some stuff, but what are our goals? What are we trying to teach students? Mm. Are we trying to teach them how to think? Are we trying to teach them how to understand problems, solve problems, be strategic? Is that what they're going to college learn? Is that what they're learning in a writing class? If the answer to that is yes, then ChatGPT is a tool that they can use to help them be better at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But if the answer to that is no, which I don't think it is, then we get really caught up on the tool. And one of the challenges with technology is that a lot of times people get caught up with the tool and it's not about being caught up with the tool. It's understanding how does that tool change our approach and our thinking. And these types of tools going forward will definitely change the way we approach a lot of this stuff. Because if it's easier to generate text, which is what it is, then students may find other means to use their brain for different things, which is what we want them to be able to do. And so we need to get to that place where we understand that is a challenge and that is a change in mindset that's happening right now. It it is a paradigm shift to use that terminology. It is a shift in mindset in the way we teach and the way we think of the outcomes of teaching and what we expect of our students. And from my perspective, I want them to learn how to think and to be critical thinkers and to be able to, if presented with these opportunities, this is not going to be the last tool that does this. There's going to be many more tools. So what do they do and what do they as humans bring to the conversation and to the output that they're creating? It's certainly an interesting time. These are some of the topics we'll be getting into down in Austin in a little more depth. To me, the two things I've been comparing it to, one is the Gutenberg 
printing press where suddenly everyone has a Bible. Now, suddenly everyone has access to generative AI where prior to last November, it was very small and elite subset of folks who had access to this stuff. It is potentially democratizing, but then at the same time, who's actually using it is a really good question. And a lot of that does tie to questions of access, which is why when I do see folks limiting access to things like ChatGPT, I do get concerned that there already are gaps between access to resources. If you now are building a hurdle in for kids who might benefit from learning these tools so that when their jobs require this type of thinking three or four or 10 years down the road, they're actually a little more comfortable with it. Beyond Gutenberg, the second analogy I've been thinking about is that of Napster, where in the early days of grabbing music without the rights to it, there are a lot of really interesting intellectual property questions that are emerging around what data is this stuff trained on, who has rights to it, and when something new is generated from that initial data set, if you scraped it or eavesdropped it or borrowed it, is it really yours and whose intellectual property and what digital rights exist for stuff that's generated with these tools? Not to mention the cheating and other challenges around whose intellectual property is it. All of that's real. At the end of the day, I am a big believer in not trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube, not trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Nobody puts baby in a corner. The flip side is as a parent, and maybe we can wrap up a little bit with this since we both are parents of a wonderful boy. It is also a challenging time to think about how these technologies relate to a young child. You know, Matthew's four. If we allowed him to use Alexa, even that sometimes comes with hiccups and things you need to be careful about. But it's also, to your point, it's hard to keep him away, and we do our best to manage his screen time. But thoughts about that? The children are our future, I believe. Thank you, Whitney. But, yes. and, and thank you, Dolly, too. Is that the one that both Dolly and Whitney, right? That's a double dipper? I believe yes. it is. I yeah, believe but, so. but we believe the children are our future. What do you think as a parent about emerging trends? At a macro level for me, one big trend is that parents are much more central to the conversation in ways that perhaps they weren't pre-pandemic, but any thoughts uh, as a mom who's just gone through a, a pretty wild ride over the last four years? Yeah, I think as a, a parent, one of the things to look at in terms of technology, certainly looking at the limit of children using technology because you don't want them to be, that's the only thing they have. So it must be modulated in a way that allows them to learn. But I do think there's a lot more things available to children now and parents have to be a lot more involved to make sure that their kids are actually using the tools appropriately. Also, they have to be involved in terms of the tools because in the schools, there's a lot more technology being introduced into the schools as well. And so parents have to be aware of that. And what does that mean? I mean, my four-year-old loves technology and he's learning constantly. I'm ready for him to start coding some stuff. And he's ready to jump right in, but he's four. So, you know, it, it takes time and it, it takes modulation and a good structure to help with that. But I do see 
going forward that there's so much out there now for parents and so much that they can do and we can look into. And, you know, I've spent time just trying to figure out what's available and what, what can kids do and what can they learn and what works for them and what's actually good for them and what's not. So yeah. I do think there's a lot more to talk on that front, particularly when you think about education and having access. And now there's no more snow days. So that means that they're on lockdown right. when it snows. So, yeah. so you have to be ready to have a student, a uh, young child who's doing the virtual school. So that's something else for parents to think about. Yeah. Or or choose to keep them out of virtual school to go sleigh riding. You know, like it's yeah. all it's all trade-offs exactly. and decisions. And to me, it all comes back to everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten the Robert Fulgham book from back in the day. Matthew's in pre-K, so I'm going to extend it to up through kindergarten. But there's a lot for us to learn as parents when being around kids, and then in particular being around the, the types of educational environments that we provide for kids at that young age, when really they just need to feel a sense of community, feel a sense of trust, and build some friendships and relationships it's important to remember that. I think we've all been reminded of that over the past few years. This speaks back to the the social emotional side. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be in community with others who are right there with us. Like it is a, a human need, a sense of belonging and connection. It's why conferences are coming back too. Like we need to just get together and feel that sense of connection as things are increasingly isolating and lonely for folks yeah. at times. So I feel very fortunate and blessed to have been on this ride with you, with our four-year-old. We are <laughs> even going to be bringing his grandmother down with us. It's going to be an exciting trip to South by Southwest EDU. I couldn't think of anyone better than you to be with me on the ride. Robin, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited and it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And if you see us down there, say hello. We are friendly. We are also parents of a four-year-old. So forgive us if we are suddenly running somewhere. All of a sudden, it's going to be an amazing trip. Really looking forward to the panel with Elliot Felix and Talanda Tolbert. Join us if you can, 11.30 a.m. Monday, March 6th. We'll be there on the podcast stage, kicking it off in style. We'll be back soon with more regular episodes of Trending in Ed. And down the road, you'll be hearing everything from South by Southwest if you don't make it with us. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to subscribe, write reviews, tell your friends. This is Trending in Ed. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.